Welcome, everybody, back to the Unregulated Podcast. I am your co-host, Tom Pyle. And I'm your flight attendant, Mike McKenna. This is episode number 50, the big 5-0. Took a little while, took a little while to Google machines for us to find a appropriate number 50. There are literally no None. baseball players who choose number 50 except for old Don Zimmer. But uh, you found one uh, uh, in another sport that is absolutely the right answer. What is absolutely. It? Yeah, one of my favorite football players of all time and probably the toughest human being ever to live other than maybe Ray Nitschke. Number 50 um, in your program, number one in your hearts, Dick Buckus, who played both center and middle linebacker for the University of Illinois in 1962, three and four. Buckus, baby. You know, I, I saw him once. Um, he came into Ocean Air. Um, this must have been 15 years ago. He came into Ocean Air, and I was having dinner, and he went to one of the back rooms. And I thought for a long, long time about just going back and walking in and saying, I've been a huge fan, man. And, you know, just sign my, sign my whatever, sign my shirt. I don't care. Um, he's but, one of those guys I usually don't. Yeah. I, I, but he's one of those guys where you would just have to. I mean, he was... He was just dirty, like not like dirty, like you know what I mean by that, right? Like he, he, he second, second, second or third best linebacker to ever play the game, right? That and yeah. and 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 not um, you know, not a lot of finesse. He's just tough, just right down the line, tough. Filthy is the the more appropriate word. I mean, he just did whatever it took, and there was never a a, a week where his his Uniform was not just destroyed, ripped, and like mud and grass everywhere. It was. He was, it, he was quite a. He was a wrecking machine. Damn man! It, it so a worthy number fifty. Absolutely good. Good. Good pull there. Well, to our listeners, I apologize for uh, you know the gap between episodes. Uh, we had every intention of recording this earlier in the week, but uh, uh, something came up. So we can talk about that a little bit later. Um, we've, we've got a lot of stuff uh, that we have to catch everybody up on as a result. And let us start with and eat a little crow, if we shall, on the recall in California. You want to yeah. get your assessment of that? Yeah. You know, we, we, we were there a little early, right? Um, um, it, it, I underestimated, I don't know about you, I underestimated uh, Gavin Newsom's ability to make it about Larry Elder, right? If, if, if there had been, if, if the thing had just been a referendum on Gavin Newsom, he probably would have lost, but he managed to turn it into a referendum on Larry Elder. And, you know, Larry Elder managed to let him turn it into a referendum on Larry Elder. So it's, um, it's not good. What, what amuses me is everyone's, you know, oh, this means, you know, Gavin Newsom's an important man. I'm like, Gavin Newsom still runs a state that can't um, run an electricity system that's got the highest income inequality rate in the country, the highest illiteracy rate in the Western Hemisphere. I mean, he's a he's still a train wreck of a human being, but so, so um, but he can run a campaign. On that, on that, a couple of things. One, I I do think that we uh, we predicted. A little bit too early, I think. In our history, campaigns usually are pretty much, um, you know, on track to. I mean, I think in normal circumstances, we probably would have been more accurate. 
or at least it would have been a lot closer. But we have to remember that we're in a world where they harvest ballots now, right? And and we're in a world where it's just a different, it's like the election's not over on election day anymore. And and I, you know, I, I sometimes have struggle with factoring that in, but also partly the referendum on elder, but I think the Dems just came home, you know? Like, I'm not gonna let my state be run by a Republican. I mean, I think the the numbers in California are becoming too, basically too overwhelming at this point. It's It, it seems like to me, so. Oh, I mean, I, maybe, I, you know, I, I think the, um, the truth for the internals of the election were this, um, the, the trend of, um, the, the trend of, of Republicans trading, Republicans and Democrats trading white college educated folks for um, minority voters continued, right? Um, you know, the, the Republicans did better among the um, Hispanics than they had previously in statewides um, by, a, by a considerable distance. So I, I can imagine a world not too far away where, where Republicans run either a Hispanic or an Asian American and wind up winning California. Um, yeah, I think that's, I, that's, I that's a, but where we are now, it's it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're, 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 we're five or six years away from something like that possibly happening. The so, trend line is good then, right? And the second thing is, is that I'm, I'm hopeful, but I'm doubtful that he will have a little humility and, and look back and see that he's probably a little bit over uh, underwater in terms of all this progressive stuff, but I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> I don't know what. I don't, I don't think I don't that's going to happen. I think they're going to double down on. They're going to think this is a mandate to double down on stupid. Um, I, and, that, that, that's exactly how they're pitching it. It's a mandate, right? And unfortunately for Californians, especially those who, like my parents, who were in the middle class and worked hard and saved up and bought a couple houses and you know, kind of wanted to live their life there. They said, screw it, I'm out. I can't deal with all this stuff anymore. So um, I think that's going to continue, unfortunately. Yeah, probably. Probably, right, probably. Um, anyway, sorry we got it wrong. Yeah, we admit when we're wrong here on the Unregulated Podcast, uh, as hard as it is sometimes. So um, lots of activity on the House side on the big bill, uh, the $3.5 trillion monstrosity, the kitchen sink, um, uh, the, the clean energy incentive program or payments program or whatever the crap they're calling it uh, un, 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 uh, was unveiled. Um, we have a, a basically a, a monstrosity of a DOE program to bribe utilities to switch over to wind and solar and get paid as a result and or if they don't then they have to pay so that was the uh that was the big grand policy uh pronouncement by the dems on on how to do this uh national energy utility mandate uh through the reconciliation process um we also have uh, a methane tax that survived committee votes and uh lots of amendments that were rejected to put walls around um, supply chain issues with China. The, I think the Republicans did, did do a, a good job of sort of framing out some of the challenges uh, to the forced, uh, forced 
energy transition or, or whatever we're calling it these days. Um, where are we? What's left in the house? And what does it matter? Yeah. Um, two things, right? The, the, the way you should understand the clean energy performance program um, is that um, the tax credits, there's two things going on, right? One is the CEPP and one is the tax credits, right? The extension and expansion of the ITC and PTC and the inclusion of both optionality and direct pay there, right? The tricky thing about the tax credits is, is that they're only accessible if you pay prevailing wage and conditions, right? In other words, if you use union labor. Um, so Joint Committee on Taxation um, assumes that um, the score, this is an interesting little fidget of this thing, right? The score for the, for the tax credits, and I'm coming back to CEPP, the score for the tax credits is about the same in year 10 as it is in year five. That shouldn't be, right? Um, the reason why it is, is because Joint Committee, Joint Taxation is gonna, is, um, has a judge that the um, tax credit will be not picked up as aggressively because of the union requirements. Okay, you follow me so far? Oh, yeah. So if you, so if you go through the math on the CEPP, what it is, what it winds up being is a subsidy to utilities to hire union guys so they can access the tax credit. Um, and, and yeah, you don't, you, it, it, I, I've been meaning to write this up for the last couple of days. I just haven't gotten to it, but um, the two things seem duplicative, but they're not, they're actually sequential. Um, and that's why everybody on the other side has been so anxious to hold on to the CEPP, despite the fact that communities and co-ops don't like it utilities have serious reservations about it and the thing just doesn't seem like a very good a very well thought out plan right you were going to give away 150 billion dollars of rewards to utilities who as joe manchin already pointed out get paid to do this stuff normally right um well that's what the ptc is so you know right the difference is the PTC and the ITC; those are already existing programs, right? They have they have the they have the happy force of momentum behind them. This is a brand new terrible idea. So um, anyway, I, I don't think the CEPP is going to survive just because it's too expensive and too pointless, and it's going to be very difficult to explain why we're going to give extra money to a bunch of pretty pretty profitable companies, um, and especially profitable companies who themselves are not all that excited about getting that. Um, anyway, larger picture on reconciliation. Can I, can, I talk, can I stop there for a sec? Yeah, sure. So I think this shows you two things, right? This shows you the challenge of the Blue-Green Alliance. Uh, it, it is going to be increasingly difficult for the Democrats to placate both the unions and the Greens at the same time. Um, and this is an attempt to marry the two. Um, and it also shows you that uh, here comes the dead horse that I'm beating, but this is not about the environment. This is about paying your constituencies, oh, rewarding yeah. your constituencies. I am sick and tired of hearing this garbage about how we're trying to save the planet. You have all of the evidence clearly in front of you. You have Europe, you have California, you have now Texas, you have, uh, you know, just reams and reams of data to show that this is all just dis dismantling and destroying 
the ability for us to produce reliable, affordable, abundant, uh, sorry, abundant, I'm sorry, affordable and reliable energy. We've got the abundance. So, um, you know, it, it's funny it, it, that it, you know, they had to thread it down to reconciliation, but that what you, what you hit on is, is what, what I think our side needs to like pound away at is the fact that if you just strip this down to its basic elements, it is a payoff to the Greens and the unions for helping them get elected. Sorry, yeah. sorry, go no, ahead. No, no, that, that, that's right. Um, so anyway, long, uh, the, rest of, the rest of the story on reconciliation is um, the moderates blew up the prescription drug reform um, provisions yes. in House Energy and Commerce, right? So now the, the um, uh, leadership's gonna try to put it back in on the floor, but, um, but I, I don't think that's going to happen, right? So there's $700 billion down the drain. The 600 billion, there's 600 billion in the scoring for economic growth, um, which, you know, is pretty sketchy to claim that, hey, we think we're going to have a tax increase of, you know, $2 trillion and it's going to, it's going to grow the economy um, big enough. Those tax revenues will go up 600 billion over 10 years, but there it is. Um, and then there's the tax gap stuff, which I can't remember the score on it. it they brought it down from 700. It's only like three or 400. But uh, long story short is, is that um, instead of a three and a half trillion dollar tax increase, right, revenue increase, we're looking at something that's more like two trillion, um, which still makes it the largest increase in history. Um, but, um, but it means that this thing isn't even remotely paid for, right? You know, as we wander into the Senate, that's the important thing. And then the second thing is, is that, um, as predicted, this fiction that Speaker Pelosi was going to allow a vote on the House floor on the infrastructure bill on by September 27th is fantasy, right? Um, there's no way that's going to happen. For those of you paying attention, that would be by the end of next week. Yeah. Um, yeah. What she is going to do is make her members walk the plank on a tax increase that the Senate has no intention of taking up. Um, if Can you were, say BTU? Right. Can I mean, say cap and trade? I mean, it, it seems, it seems um, dangerous and pointless and um, damaging, but you know, the reality of it is, is that she doesn't care because she's probably retiring. Um, well, and, I mean, her whole crew doesn't care because they're all right. in the same boat. This is their last hurrah. These are the, these are the children of the '60s gang. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, they've 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 been losing their ranks year over year. There's a few hard hardliners left, and they're all in those spots. And yeah, come I mean, all it, high water, they're going to get their utopian great great society, right? Um, yeah. And that's kind of what we're at. And, and when they flush out, I do, I do wonder what, which direction the party will go. Will they go harder or will they, will they start tacking the other way? We'll see. Yeah. Let me, let me wreck it for you. They're going to go harder. Um, um, the, the, um, the other thing that's worth talking about for 10 seconds, um, it, cause no one else is talking about it. So I'll talk about it. Um, there is, we have a debt ceiling that's coming, going to ripen sometime in October, and we're going to, we have a government shutdown heading our way in um, 10 days, right? 12 days. 
And the only way that's going to get solved, the Republicans are not going to provide any votes for either a continuing resolution or a debt ceiling increase. The Democrats are going to have to go back in and amend the budget resolution upon which we're already debating, right? This whole reconciliation is based upon it. They're going to have to go back in, amend it, and run through the process again. Um, that's going to add uh, time and confusion and increase the leverage of the moderates in the Democratic caucuses on both sides, the House and the Senate. So, you know, I, I had given it like a 60% chance we're heading towards like a one and a half trillion dollar reconciliation. I'm going to bump that up to probably 75%. And the remaining 25% is we get nothing, right? That, the, that at some point the, the um, progressives look at it and say, you know what, the hell with it. I don't want, I'd rather, I'd rather run against these guys on this issue in the primary than deal with this. Um, the other thing I'm now certain of is we're heading for a government shutdown because the Democrats just seem to have figured out that the Republicans are not going to play along with any of this stuff. Um, yeah, they've, they've already started to beat the drum on that, like Republican obstruction, Republican obstruction. <laughs> Yeah, I'm worried. I'm wondering. I, I still. I think we might have touched on this already, but I'm still wondering if how the. Re I, I mean, I'm looking forward to how on earth the Republicans are going to somehow manage to like end up owning the shutdown. <laughs> like, because it's like it seems like no matter what they do, they own the shutdown. They came really close. They sent Schumer on his heels that one, uh, was it Trump shut down one where they had uh, Schumer on the ropes uh, on yeah. the and stuff and, and, and let him go. That was the one and only time that uh, I think the Republicans uh, won the communication war on the shutdown. So, uh, I mean, the, the whole town is run by, by Democrats. They seem to not care that their majority is razor thin um, and yet, you know, the, they're, they're going to somehow seek to blame the Republicans for a shutdown. This should be fun. Yeah, I, 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 I'm like you. I, I look at it and think to myself, this is going to be difficult to, um, it's going to be difficult to blame a government shutdown on the Republicans when, in fact, the Democrats control the government, right? Um, so we'll, we'll, We'll see how it goes, um, but it's starting to come into focus for everybody. And I think next week it'll become, um, it will start the, the shutdown now. We'll start to, we'll start to um, clear, out, clear out all the other conversations, right? As people like, we gotta do something like right now about this. And, and I don't know, here's the tricky part, right? I don't know how you pass this reconciliation um, in any kind of timely fashion, right? I think that's, that's, and as long as we don't have a reconciliation, we're gonna have a government shutdown. And I had thought we were gonna to go to Christmas. I'm starting to think that the moderates are going to leverage their position and we are gonna be done by um, middle October, right? So CR push it to February or whatever? Uh, no, I think, I think, there's no reason not to do an end of the year, you know, just a whole year CR, right? But I, I, what I'm saying is, is because all this stuff's going to have to go together, the debt ceiling, the CR, and whatever they want to get done in reconciliation, instead of reconciliation going till Christmas, like I had thought, 
I think it's all going to happen here in the next um, 30 days, right? And oh, I see. So basically, the the scale down, like mini, yes. mini version of a reconciliation. Yes. Wrap it all up and call it a day so that the Democrats can spend the next 10 months trying to dig out of their hole, which when we get a chance, we can get into on, on, on that survey I flipped over to you. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. I think that's, I think I see, let's put it this way. I see no other way for this thing to turn out. We're going to have a shutdown um, and it's going to look bad if the Democrats are talking about um, tax increases and government, more government spending while the thing shut down, right? They're gonna, they're gonna the, the first thing they're gonna wanna do is square that away and they can't do it outside of reconciliation. So it all either has to stay together or go together. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, the Senate hasn't really done anything yet. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I mean you know, they it, have it, a whole different set of, of, of energy taxes that they'd like to raise. Yeah. Um, they have been silent on this, this payment program, this uh, payoff for the unions and the, and the utilities. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's a lot of, I mean, this is just our space, right? Like, yeah, I've never seen in just our space. So, I, you know, they wasted a bunch of time. I mean, you know, that, that, that's just the truth. They wasted a bunch of time and now, um, and now it's coming back to haunt them. I mean, it, it, this has been, forget anything else. It's been the worst managed Congress I've ever seen. Well, I mean, in part by design, right? You know, I don't think a lot of this stuff would even make the cutting room floor if we had a normal situation where we didn't have all these proxy voting and and all these committee by Zoom and everything else, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you mean a lot of ways they're harvesting votes. So, uh, but you know, the moderates. It, it, it's going to be really interesting to see uh, what happens when Pelosi announces that she can't put the vote for the the other crappy vote on the floor. Oh, come on, I yeah. mean, look, unless you're a complete moron, unless you just got here, and you know, literally, you just came from the bus depot. Um, there's no way you believe that that she was going to let that vote happen before yeah. before she got this whole, before she got everything squared away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so so uh, to that point about the Democrat situation with the electorate, uh, McLaughlin and Associates just released a survey, nationwide survey. Uh, they're in the field from September 9th to September 14th. Some interesting stuff in here, Mike. Um, just a recap uh, for likely voters, country right track, wrong direction, 59 wrong track, 38 right direction. And I mean, that isn't a complete invert since like June 21st. Like it's, uh, they, the numbers crossed and they started skyrocketing uh, since June 21st. Another one was um, generic for Congress, GOP 47, Dems 46. Yeah. And the independents slightly favor the Dems. But the, the, the real devastating numbers are, are Biden's approval stuff. 47 approved, 52 disapproved. He's crashed 15 points in the last month. Pelosi, same, 56, 39 favorable, unfavorable. Schumer, 32, 49 favorable, unfavorable. And uh, 
we all know that he's petrified of, of AOC already. So I can't imagine that this will help his situation. Economy better 38, worse 53. It's totally collapsed since June. Um, and even this was the uh, one of them that I thought was pretty cool. Size of government, fewer services, smaller government 50, larger government, more services 34. So uh, we're already seeing a, a little bit of buyer's remorse here, wouldn't you say? Right, there's, there's two things dragging them down, right? One is Afghanistan, one is, um, one is the COVID variant, right? The Delta variant. Um, it, but the other thing that's dragging him down, and this is something that's been lurking in the background, right? Is that he doesn't have the capacity, um, whether you think about that physically or, or emotionally and intellectually, he doesn't have the capacity to um, advocate forcefully for what he's doing, right? Um, you know, he can't go out and give speeches. He um, can't or won't. He can't or won't answer questions from the press, or right? he can't mix it up. Um, you know, he he doesn't really have any advocates, right? Any third party advocates, right? Any 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 surrogates, because he's you know he's filled the cabinet with guys named who. Um, and, and it's a, it's a problem. And I thought it was going to be a problem. And I think I wrote about this, you know, a couple of months ago that, Hey, if, if, you know, if he ever gets into a, you know, a, you know, a free fall situation, you know, no telling where the bottom's going to be. Cause he just, he isn't a typical president who can get out there and do stuff to, yeah. uh, you know, it, the greatest advantage of the presidency is you not only set the agenda, you set the message of the day, you know, you, you get up and whatever you say is what people talk about. That's a huge advantage. And he just can't do that. He's incapable of it. You know, I know we're not allowed to talk about that, but, but it's an important thing, right? Absolutely, It's an important thing. There's some numbers in here on um, GOP primary as well. Let me, let me say one thing real quick about that before you go, because I know where you're going on those numbers. One thing, one, one quick thing about the internals of the survey um, yeah. that you're reading from yeah so i went back and i read the back end right the the um, who who actually took this survey this is not a republican heavy survey this is a this is not a conservative heavy survey the split on that is he had i think 30 percent were liberals 33 percent were identified as themselves conservatives and like 37 percent identified themselves as moderates um usual split on that is 20 20 liberals 40 um conservatives you know, 35 moderates. So he's a little heavy on the liberals and the moderates. So, so in case you're wondering about the, you know, the, the um, breakout of the numbers. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. I just want yeah, to get No, that no, that's there. important context for our, for our listeners. And also um, it was very, it was very clear to me in the survey data that the, the, the support among Democrats and in independents is, is weakening for Biden uh, and the, and the, and the, you know, the rest of the leaders and, and, uh, so that's another important point is, is the numbers aren't huge, but they're bigger, right? So but there's some buyer's remorse going on here. Um, the second, the back end of this survey, it's, it's still very much Trump's party. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Number was 71. Do you want to see Donald Trump run again in, uh, in 2024? 71, yes. 21, no. Um, if Trump ran, would you support or oppose him? 84% support, 14% oppose. Um, 
the uh, the next uh, in line, if Trump's uh, in the mix, is DeSantis and Pence kind of neck and neck in uh, eight and ten percent respectively, and then everyone else gets like ones and twos, right? The whole list. Yeah. But then when you take Trump out, it's still a Trump party. Uh, DeSantis gets twenty two, Pence gets fifteen, and Donald Trump Jr. gets nineteen. Yeah, so I, so I saw that, and I assume that's mostly. Um, you think about it; these surveys tend to get read, um, tend to get um, read to people, so they're listening to it. They're like, "Hey, DeSantis, this guy, that guy, Donald Trump Jr." People are like, "Yeah, that guy, Donald yeah. Trump, right?" It, it's a it's an artif it's an artifact, right? <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, the um, and these are among Republican primary voters, folks. So. Uh, well, so anyway, the, the other thing, the other thing worth noting about the survey is, is that um, this is the guy who did it, right, John McLaughlin. He he he's Trump's. He's one of Trump's pollsters, right? So, um, but but I, I I read it with that. Um, I read it um, with that in my mind, and you know it, it didn't really. There's no bias in there, right? It's a legit. I mean, it's a legit front to back deal, right? I think it's a. I think it's an accurate um, snapshot of where we are right now. Yeah, there's stuff at the end on uh, specifically towards the buyer's remorse, uh, but I'll I'll just shoot this into the show notes, folks. You should look at the uh, take a look at the survey. It's pretty telling. If the election were held today, um, you know, I think the Republicans would be okay. But I want to warn everybody because there's warning signs in here. If Kamala Harris is the nominee, she still is. It's still a neck and neck, right? Right now, with all this going on, of course, nobody really knows her yet. But, you know, if you think about it, like, let's not get too excited here because it's, a, it's a, still a ways out, but also in terms of the midterms, at least. Um, it, I mean, you got to figure there's always a couple of percentage points in, um, in here that the, the Democrats are going to take, right? Like, um, you know, however they do. Uh, so I just... I wouldn't get too excited. It's not a lock. We're not running away with this by any means. We, we being they, they, um, but these, these numbers are actually, you know, uh, they both, they, they look good for the Republican takeover in, in the midterms. And it, it paints a picture of the Democrats having a lot of work to do to sort themselves out between now and the next national election as well. But Hey, it's one survey. It's one day. Who knows? Uh, but yeah. good stuff. Yeah. So. And, and that's right. That that's the thing about it. You you got to read, you got to read all these surveys um, together, right? There, each of them is a piece of a mosaic. And um, and what all the surveys are telling you is is that um, honeymoon's over, right? The the president is is um, his approval rating is now down essentially to you know where 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 president trump's was um at the bottom right and the difference is i'm not sure he has the capacity to come back and um, the other thing that struck me about the survey is what you just said is that um vice president harris is not as weak with the voters as she is with the um with guys who do this for a living right the voters the voters don't really see her as um ineffectual or hopeless right 
Yeah, they just don't know her well enough yet. I, I, I you got, you got, you got to think that's right. But you know, a few good cackles, and I think they'll take care of that. But. It, it's, it's tough to imagine she's going to be able to maintain a the, the, the focus of a campaign and not, not have somebody say, "What are you, what are you talking about?" Let's see. Anything else on the survey for, from you? Anything? No, I thought, I thought, like I said, I thought it was a nice piece of work and, um, and pretty thorough. And the other thing that struck me was. There's a um, a pretty high degree of coherence between men and women on this survey, which you know may break down in an election. But actually, the interesting <laughs> the interesting thing about the Trump about the Trump questions and who would you vote for in the Republican primary is that he actually did better among women than men. Yeah, not not, not by much, but by four or five points in in each in in every question in that sequence. But, but that's but. the buyer's remorse part, right? Like some of the questions in the back are, hey, you know, tough and brash, but uh, maybe do we need a tough guy right now? Yeah. And then, there's a little teasing out of buyer's I mean, remorse. Yeah, so the other thing that struck me, you know, now, now, that you're, now that you're asking that, the other thing that struck me is, and this is something I've been thinking about for years and years and years, the Democrats always do much, much better among single women than Republicans. They just do, right? Sure. Um, but when you ask the question that way, right? When 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 John asked the question that way, like, hey, um, hey, you know, this guy's a, a miserable sob, but sometimes the job requires a miserable sob. I mean, it wasn't that, but it, you know, that was the general vibe of the question. In other words, it's a dangerous world out there, folks, and. Um, and you need a you need a serious person to to protect you. Single women, you know, that was one of the few questions where single women went higher for Trump than Biden. Yeah, and and, and I thought to myself, you know, that's um, that's an interesting little possibility in there, right? That you you sell what you 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 don't you don't sell you sell security anyway. Nominees, you wanted to chat a little bit about those. Oh, I just wanted to, you know, a friend of mine asked me about it recently and said, hey, is it my imagination are these guys taking longer to fill these jobs than they should? Um, the answer is, yeah, um, they're they're moving about as quickly. Um, they, they came out of the gate quick, but they're now as slow as the um, Trump administration. And at the rate they're going, they're likely to be slower uh, by the end of this year. It's not something I can explain, but my very strong vibe is, is that they look at the world like um, we have the people we want. Of course. You know, we, we, we uh, all these assistant secretaries, we almost, I don't want to say we don't care about them, but we almost don't care about them. Right? Well, I mean, it's a, a it, as with the Trump administration, this is an unusual administration in that it is largely the uh, the third term of the Obama administration, right? Everyone, uh, you know, they're all the smartest guys in the room. So uh, normally, though, Democrats have lots of lots of, of people that they owe stuff to, right? So they, they love these jobs because they just kind of give everybody jobs. But right now, they're all focused on yeah. trying to get this bill through right and so if the if if and when this all when this thing washes out and they're back to sort of okay what are we going to do now uh if they have any time left um 
they're gonna they're bound to turn to the regulatory you know to the regulatory apparatus again uh it's not to say they're not doing any of that but uh right now all the focus is on the next three four months of getting this monstrosity through so yeah i i would think so all right i think that's the right answer um but i, I think what i'm saying is is it it might be difficult because you know you think about it we don't have any we don't have anybody running OMB at the moment. We don't have anybody at OIRA at the moment. It, the Department of Energy has, I think, three people confirmed. Um, you know, I, I could go through agency by agency. It's not like it's different anywhere else. It, it's just. Um, well, how are they doing on judges? Uh, they had a they had a pulse right at the beginning, right where they did they did like thirty of them, I think, and then that's it. Right, they haven't done any since then. Um, it. it and, and by the way, you know, the rest of this year is going to get taken up by whatever happens next with reconciliation, see if that's healing and the shutdown. Once they finish that, they're going to close up for the day. They're going to close up for the year. I mean, the only other thing they have that they absolutely have to do is the NDAA. Um, and then, um, so, you know, it's going to be tough to confirm people um, who aren't already standing around, right? We'll have one more great big giant, hey, confirm the, the 30 guys on the executive calendar who are sitting there. But it's not like we have like 200 guys sitting there waiting to be confirmed. I mean, so they're going to finish this. They're going to start next year. And I'll just tell you right now, um, you know, this is, you know, this better than I do. Congress is hit or miss in an election year, right? They're, they're, you know, calendar, calendar is get home and stay home as much as possible. Right? Oh yeah. Now this is done. Like March, February, March of next year is the, is the end of this Congress basically. For sure. Yeah. I, I think that's right. I think that's right. And there'll be bipartisan cooperation for that, for, for doing that. <laughs> so, all right, well, gas prices are high. And who is the culprit? Who do you think? What, what could possibly be the reason gas prices are still high, Mike? What, can you take a guess? I'll tell you right now, it's, it's the bad guys in the, in the oil and gas business. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the war profiteers in, 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 in oil and gas land. Am I close? Okay, let's hear it right from the president's mouth. We're also going after the bad actors and pandemic profiteers in our economy. <laughs> There's I lots of evidence that gas prices should be going down, but they haven't. We're taking a close look at that. Thank you so much, Joe. Thanks for looking <laughs> at us. You got to give me full credit for coming. I profiteer. I didn't even know he said that. Ah, uh, so. Um, Nationwide gas prices rose yesterday to $33.19 a gallon. It's the highest level since October of 2014. And this is AAA. So gas prices are high. Gas prices are high. And it's the pandemic profiteers. So I've been doing this stuff for, it'll be 30 soon. Um, and it is like clockwork. Every time gas prices go up, the, the politicians who spend their entire career trying to curtail the supply of oil, trying to uh, constrain carbon, trying to um, get us off of gas, um, all that other jazz, turn around and start like playing this game where they, they ask the FTC to investigate price gouging and 
then they do all you know the big oil companies and yada either withholding supply it's it's like it's it's like you can set your clock to it um so uh, this is not about pandemic profiteers ladies and gentlemen what sorry what? I hate, what? I hate first year bubble i Look, I'm not telling you that's wrong, Tom, but I'm, I, the president told me it was about we're profiteers or, you know, whatever. We're looking into that. We're looking into that, gang. Looking Meanwhile, into that. You know, we're increasing the cost of your car. We're, we're shutting down the federal lands for producing our resources. Let's, uh, we're let's shutting just... down pipelines. We're, uh, you know... <laughs> Oh, man you know the, the you know the great thing about all the taxes carbon taxes border taxes come on but it's the pandemic profiteers because where by the way where's his evidence oh shut up there's what lots of evidence that gas prices should be going down why why do you have to be that way seriously uh, um seriously why first off look we all know it's the profiteers um and we've concluded that and we're looking into it Think about that. Think about the construction of that sentence. You know, we're we're certain the answer. We're certain of our answer. We're just trying to look around for the evidence. It it the these guys are hopeless. I mean, they're not even. You know what? They're not even good when they're lying. I mean, this, that's how bad you are. Anyway, sorry. No, no, this is good. This one from the Hindu Times. <laughs> do they no. are they are are they do they think we got war profiteers too? No, no, I'm shifting gears here. Uh, okay. What we're still on the exit, we're on the existential threat uh, portion of the show. Ah, okay. No firm commitment from India on net zero, says John Kerry. The world is watching commitments on climate change made by all the big emitters, said U.S. Special Envoy John Kerry on Tuesday. He was making a pitch for India to announce a pledge to reduce emissions to net zero by 2050. However, the government said it does not consider the net zero goal its only priority at present. And Mr. Kerry admitted that he had not received a firm pledge from New Delhi on the issue yet. Did he receive any unfirm commitments? <laughs> at least they met in person. I <laughs> <laughs> recall his, his last trip to China uh, didn't go so yeah. well. Either. It was so embarrassing. Fly halfway around the world and yeah, we're gonna. So, so far, uh, you know, the gravitas, you know, all those articles from e and &E and Politico, like fawning over this pick, like, oh, wow, what a bold team. That's a climate dream team that Biden has assembled. Um, John Kerry is, is about as um, successful now as he was when he was Secretary of State as he was when he was uh, running for president, as he was when he was senator. He's a big zero on the global stage, ladies and gentlemen. He's the one who expressed with absolute confidence that there was no way we could form individual peace arrangements with individual Middle East uh, players until there was a solution, a Palestinian solution, if you recall. Again, gift keeps on giving. I mean, there's just no... I don't know how you could go, like, what is he doing on, in, in the jet on the way home? Like, is he feeling good or what? I don't know. It, 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 Back to net. Okay. No, I'm sorry. He moved to the Cape. He's, he's happy because, he's happy because 
he's doing something. He's, he's, you know, he's an important man, blah, blah, blah. You're just like, all right, whatever. Anyway, sorry. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be too, I don't want to be too hard on the poor guy. I mean, he's this old guy trying to be useful. Uh, you're, you're being way, way too kind, sir. Okay, hey, here's another quick... how, could, how could, look, let me ask you a question. It's seriously, how could you not feel bad for this guy? I don't. I don't feel bad for him at all. I feel bad for all of the uh, time that we're losing trying to, uh, you know, get our economy on track and all the time that we're losing trying to keep China at bay and all the time that we're losing on, on stuff that matters because our country is running around trying to negotiate the terms of unilateral, you know, economic disarmament. All right, uh, one, one quick, uh, our, our NEC, our uh, head of our National Economic Council, Brian Deese, um, he had some good, good things to say about uh, the increase in, in across the board increase in, in food prices, skyrocketing grocery prices. Here he is. The context here is uh, the focus, uh, the appropriate focus on the question of grocery prices um, and the increase in grocery prices that we have seen recently over the last uh, couple of months. Um, and if we if we unpack that, uh, one of the interesting findings of the report that we put out today is that about half of the overall increase in grocery prices can be attributed to a significant increase in prices in three products, in uh, beef, in pork, and in poultry. And in beef and in pork, we've seen double-digit increases in prices over the last uh, couple of months. Um, in fact, if you look at the category that uh, is grocery prices, what economists call food at home, so food that is being uh, purchased uh, to eat at home, um, in a number of areas we've seen, if you take out those three categories, we've actually seen in, uh, price increases that are more in line with uh, historical norms. And we've seen some categories, for example, fresh fruits and vegetables prices have actually declined uh, since the end of last year. And if you look at a category of prices like eggs, um, obviously, a similar uh, supply chain, similar input uh, and feed costs to poultry. Um, uh, the price of eggs has actually come down over the last couple of months. The real drivers in these three areas, these three proteins. Um, if you look at that market, the thing that is striking is across beef, uh, poultry, and uh, and pork significant consolidation in those industries. So anywhere from 55 to 85% of the market is controlled by the top four producers in those industries. And so when- <laughs> uh, Okay, so that second part of that argument I hadn't heard. There's a lot to unpack here. Get it, unpack. There, there's, there's really not, but go yeah, there ahead. Is. Okay, <laughs> what is it with the word salads with this administration? What uh, they, they, you know, come on, man. They just love hearing what themselves that, talk. Why do they have to say, they spend minute, minutes and minutes and minutes saying nothing, first of all. Secondly, I thought this guy was smart. Uh, I'm starting to think maybe uh, he's not I'm, all that smart. I'm Third, sure he's smart. Hey, look, you know, I mean, yeah. I mean, prices are, if you take these three, piece products out the stuff that everyone eats then you know the actual increase in grocery prices is is more in line with what it should be yeah they're doubling and then it's not our fault it's the consolidation it's the private you know 
Yeah, it's it's the profiteering. It's, 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 it's the pattern it's, of this administration. The problem isn't as bad as you think. You're just being lied to. And by the way, it's not our fault. It's someone else's. Fault. It's 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 the meat profiteers. Yeah, it's not it's not the gas profiteers. Now it's the meat profiteers. You know, I um, I, I it's here. It, it's it. Well, I mean, you know, look, the news came out about the producer price index popped up. Like I think it was eight point three percent or five point three percent on in like a week ago in August, right? That it was eight eight percent in August, right? Um, you know, we clearly have a problem here on inflation and um, and they're terrified about that narrative getting established. So they sent these out to say, hey, except for meat, everything's fine. Um, except for the, the, you know. Except for the stuff you actually eat, everything's yeah, fine. Except for bacon, pork chops, hamburgers, you it, know. It, it, um, they seem to want to keep talking about this, right? You remember July 4th, they put out their thing about, you know, hey, congratulations, you know, your, your July 4th picnic is... 27 cents cheaper than it was last year, um, which, you know, was both wrong and, and crazy. But anyway, um, they're obviously concerned about inflation. They're obviously listening to listening and, and looking at the data and are concerned, and they should be. Um, so I, I look at it like, yeah, I'm with you on the word salad. I'm like, dude, can you can you guys just give us a simple direct English sentence? And the problem is one of the few guys who can give us a direct English sentence is uh, the president himself and usually it's terrible so wait 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 what are you talking about here let me uh let me pull something out for you you mean like this idea that you know, well, you know what, what do you want to do with biden i want to box him i should be so lucky you know what i mean but it is the, the, the kinds of things or you know Stuff that's coming out of Florida, stuff that's coming out of, you know, Robert E. Lee in Afghanistan, you're the one. Anyway, I'm telling you too much. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, we shouldn't laugh. <laughs> it's hard. Huh? It's, it's, I'm torn between absolute, like, anger that this is you know that they well i'm not angry but don't it's just hard it's just hard to watch it's hard to watch because i, I kind of it's impossible to watch the because president of the united states I it's mean, not that it's the it's the he's a he's a he's a old he's an old person who's disintegrating on national television and that's just painful right Indeed. I mean that that's the that's the actual that's the that's why it's painful because you're like uh, you know you, you it is a, it is a, nobody wants to say this so I'll say it it is a reminder of our own mortality right you know, oh, absolutely. you, know you you we are all going to go on that journey and it's yeah. not not great to watch and that's well speaking of uh Norm Macdonald yeah 61 years old passed away this week yeah the impressive thing about that was that he'd been fighting cancer for nine years and hadn't said anything to anybody about it and, and i um i have to respect him for that right last thing people want to do is listen to like whatever your personal problem is with respect to health right especially as you get older and that becomes the sum and substance of the conversation right yeah no i mean i i was shocked right so 
but uh, does remind you, 61 years old, and he didn't like what whatever reason he chose to keep it to himself and not like you know burden others with it. It's his choice, but uh, it, it's a reminder <laughs> again. Speaking of reminders of mortality, right? Um, 61 year old people die all the time which is a terrible thing to say if you're me because you know i'm closing in on it so yeah it, it it's you are guaranteed nothing you are guaranteed not an additional day so enjoy the one you're in yeah, absolutely so. anyway um yeah okay so I, I don't know how we got from meat profiteering to that but there we are <laughs> Okay, well, I do. And by the way, by the way, I'm going to trademark meat profiteering because I get that feeling it's not the last we're going to hear of it, right? <laughs> the meat profiteers. <laughs> All right, well, let's stick on the, let's stick somewhat on the theme of appreciating every day. Uh, I'm going to actually, I'm going to actually lead this segment with a clip from Circle Back. Um, and, and then it's going to go way off tangent. So here it is. Lives and data available showed a waning efficacy of vaccines after a certain number of months. Speaking of the waning efficacy of vaccines, I do have another question about the, the president's COVID mm -hmm. plan. He promised on September 9th that he was going to send 50% more supply of monoclonal antibodies to states. Yet the Biden administration is cutting supplies in red states by 50%. So for example, uh, you know, in Florida, they were expecting to get 70,000 doses this week, which they say they need. They're only getting 30,000 doses. And this is not just for unvaccinated people. In South Florida, half the people who are seeking this treatment are fully vaccinated. So why is the Biden administration having these supplies? That's not accurate. So let me give you the accurate information. Uh, first of all, we are increasing our distribution this month by 50%. In early August, we were distributing an average of 100,000 doses per week. Now we're shipping an average of 150,000 doses per week. Over the last month, though, uh, and one thing that I think people need to understand for clarity, facts, I know, I know you're like facts, um, is that monoclonal antibodies are life-saving therapies that are used after infection to prevent more severe outcomes. So clearly the way to protect people and save more lives is to get them vaccinated so that they don't get uh, the COVID to begin with. But over the last month, given the rise in cases due to the Delta variant and the lower number of vaccination rates in some of these states like Florida, like Texas, just seven states are making up 70% of the orders. Our supply is not unlimited and we believe it should be equitable across uh, states across the country. Do you- There's been no reports of a, a, a lack of supply. So why cut them to those states only if there's no reports I think our role as the, as the government overseeing the entire country is to be equitable in how we distribute. We're not going to give a greater percentage to Florida over Oklahoma, nor do I think are you suggesting that. I think we have to move on. Go ahead, Yamish. Thanks so much. One question, one follow-up question. There's a lot going on there too, Mike. Yeah, there's there's not really there's one the the core of it is, um, well the the core of it is one shut up and two we're in charge and um right well, did I did I did I did well, I miss you, got it. you nailed it but but the the arrogance of this like it, it just oozes out right like we are in charge of you know we are the overlords right yeah. This I mean, is bad. This is just bad, 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 bad. Because Florida is taking a hybrid approach. They're using these monoclonal antibodies 
in addition to vaccines. And that's what pisses them off, right? Yeah. I mean, they have I, centers where you can walk in and get these. No questions asked, right? And that that's part of that's part of what's going on here. It's like, well, we're we're not gonna, you know, we're not gonna condone this behavior, this this terrible, terrible behavior. So yeah, I mean that's that's the 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 one the one guarantee. I mean, the one guarantee is the second um uh, the, the worst possible way to distribute this stuff is let the government decide. Oh, and, and that's what they're doing. That's, that's exactly. right. And that's that's exactly where we're off on, right? So everything's everything's politicized. And like, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning of this thing. You know, if Trump wasn't president of the United States, I still don't know the answer because I don't know who would be. Hillary, I guess. Oh, my God. And heaven. I don't. This thing has been botched from the beginning, and I'm blaming the people who wanted Trump out of office because they politicized this virus. This, this virus has been politicized. This is not a we're all, you know, us against them situation, right? This virus is, is, is as politi- is being used for political purposes as much as it is for anything else, as much as anything else, I should say. And that's unfortunate because this is, this is the, the result of this, of this business. And I can speak with a little bit more authority now because as you know, and some folks uh, in the audience know, I was tested positive for coronavirus on Monday and I'm sheltering in place and I received these antibodies yesterday. Um, and let me tell you how disruptive this coronavirus is. Well, am I sick? Yes. Am I recovering? Yes. Can I smell anything and taste anything? No, and that's the worst thing for as a foodie. Um, but it is wildly disruptive because everyone who I've come in contact with for the last, you know, several days, you know, five, six days prior to, to my test, I have to let them know. And they have to, their lives have now have, have changed, right? They're, they're, all of their lives have changed. My kids are home. They're not going to be able to go to school for a little while. Um, you know, everyone who I came in contact with um, fairly, you know, recently before I had to let know and all of their, they all had to make those adjustments as well. And that's fine and good. I think that should happen. I think that's great. But, you know, the, the other stuff that's going on with this is just, it's it, to me and that, you know, having, you know, now having sort of seen a little bit more on the inside of this thing, uh, uh, it's just, it's ridiculous. Um, and it, it's just no way, I mean, I, I'm, I'm even more convinced now that, you know, decisions are being made, um, not necessarily always in the best interest of getting this thing, getting this thing done and dusted. So I don't know. I got a lot of, a lot of other comments about it. We'll, we'll rant, we'll rant on and, on other occasions about it, but, uh, it's definitely a disruptor. There is no doubt in my mind. So, okay. I'm just going to say, okay. <laughs> so for everyone who I'm doing fine, I had the fevers, I had the headaches, I had all that stuff. Um, I got well, those. I'm not sure you're doing fine. You're doing, well, no, that, you're doing no worse than you were before. Mental, you can't attest for my mental capacity. But. You're just going to say you, you, you're doing no worse than you were doing before. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but I will be um, hunkered down here at an undisclosed uh, quarantine zone for for the time being so 
the antibodies, uh, you know, they're, uh, let's put it this way. I am now like, I don't know. We'll see what happens. You know, if I get through the other side, uh, then I guess there's, uh, you know, I guess that's the best medicine, right? Is getting something and getting over it and having, having the, the ability to resist it going forward. But that's, you know, theoretically what's supposed to happen. We'll see. So, all right, man, you want to talk Virginia elections? Just How's it going? Quick, just real quick. I mean, it's a 50-50 proposition, right? There's going to be about probably three and 3.4 million votes cast, right? And the election is going to come down to 50,000 votes, right? So about a percent and a half, right? Um, we call it one with 56,000 by a 56,000 vote margin last time. Um, there was a third party in that race, a guy named Rob Sarvis, who's a libertarian. He won. He took 117,000 votes. Um, I'm not saying those would all have been Republican votes, but you know, you guys can do the math. Um, interesting little thing has emerged in the race as Biden's approval rating is tracked down. So has McAuliffe's. Um, it's a, it's a, um, it's unclear to me like where the floor on President Biden is. So it's unclear to me on where the floor on McAuliffe is. But um, if Biden, if the president drops another three points in the next six weeks, um, Terry McAuliffe's going to lose this race. Um, it, it's going to be close, right? We're going to we're going to be a point and a half one way or the other. Um, and and um, I'm not sure. I think turnout's going to look a little softer than people expect, and I think it's going to help the Republican probably in this case. Um, so we'll see. And I think the, um, what's going on on the government, on the federal government side is going to really affect Virginia. So it's hard to tell. Uh, I do know this, right? If the, if Glenn Youngkin wins in Virginia, um, there's going to be, it's going to be bad for the Democrats, well, how, right? How is, um, how is the, race i mean is mcauliffe i mean i don't get a sense he's kicking butt here he's right? he's his his he's thrown his jock out onto the field right his basic attitude is hey man i've been governor you've seen me right i'm a pro-business right. pro governor vote for me again right uh, and by the way this other guy is a trump clone um you know youngkin has taken a while to get going but is now starting to zero in on the grocery tax um and what he needs to zero in on is the right to work, right? Um, but it's mm -hmm. kind of hard to, um, you know, it's hard to sell that, right? Because people are, there are people in, in Republican circles who are afraid of that a little bit. But the reality of it is, is that if you want to undercut Terry McAuliffe's claim to being a pro-business governor, you make him walk the plank on right to work, right? Um, and, and there's no doubt in my mind that the Democrat, a Democratic House in Virginia would send him, and maybe a Democratic Senate in Virginia would send him a bill um, cutting out right to work, right? Um, so if I were young and I would make grocery tax, I think is great. Right to work would be my second one. And then critical race theory would be my third, right? Um, not, not because I think critical race theory um, is sweeping the Commonwealth, but because it's an, ex an especially pointed issue in, um, in um, Northern Virginia, right? It, it brings out it brings out all the Republicans, all the Trump voters um, in Northern Virginia. Well, hopefully, the even though he's not the most dynamic candidate, he also benefits a little bit from the national sort of shrug that's going on. So, 
Yeah, I, I, you know, it, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a good test of democratic enthusiasm, um, right in Virginia. And like I said, if Youngkin wins, Congress is gonna be done, and I think the Biden administration is gonna be done because there'll just be nobody who wants to. Um, there'll be nobody who there will be no one who will think of themselves as completely safe, right? Yeah. So anyway, All right. Well. North Korea, here we go again. Another missile test. Yeah, but you know, it, it, that almost looks like a quaint problem compared to the Chinese, right? No, right. Like, yeah, great. The, the little oh, kids yeah. on the block are making trouble. He's shooting his toys again. So. All right, the kids. The kids are playing. The kids in the neighborhood are playing dig dong ditch again. Uh, they're not. It's but it's indicative of you know when when. You, to everyone's testing the guy and he seems to be failing them all so yeah blaming everybody else though uh okay so i got a couple quick clips from biden uh wanted to uh he wanted to clarify a couple of things uh here's the first one uh you know the looks like a tornado they don't call them that anymore that hit the crops and and wetlands in the middle of the country and in Iowa and Nevada and I mean it's just across the board and uh, you know um, uh, as I said we're in this together what do they call them Mike I, I they don't are they call twisters? them are they twisters I, now do they go back to twister I I don't know what the hell he's talking about Is Pluto a planet I <laughs> I don't know. It keeps changing on me. Boy, help me out. You know, it. Whatever else is going to happen, historians are going to look back on this eight years, assuming he makes like his four of Trump and Biden, and just be like, "All right, it, it might not have been. <laughs> it might not have been the most comprehensible eight years in American presidential history, but it was probably the funnest. It was something. It was uh, something. By the way, I I think that the. Um, if you mention that the reconciliation isn't progressing as fast as they would have liked, um, then we're going to get way, way behind, uh, further behind than we are already. We're going to deal with climate change and and have zero emissions, net emissions by 2050, by 2020. Make sure all our electricity is zero emissions. We're going to be able to do these things, but we've got to move. We've got to move. We got to move, and, and in this case, we need to move backwards in time. So, <laughs> numbers, numbers, numbers. Who cares? It's just a bunch of talking. No one's really listening to me anyway. I'm just sitting there doing my old Uncle Joe thing. I, I, whatever. <laughs> we can be net zero by 2020. We can do it. Uh, actually, actually, Mr. President, I. I'm confident that's the one thing America can't do. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Um, I don't. Let's see. I got. I want to do a closer, but um, I think I'm pretty much tapped on my end here. Do you have anything else? I have nothing else to add except um, except two things. One, the Yankees are probably not going to the playoffs, right? And that uh, will be that was official that, as of last night, in my opinion. Well, I think it will become formalized and official in the opinion of Major League Baseball probably this time next week. So, um, good news is, um, no way you can have an organizational breakdown this big and this public and not do something about it. 
bad news is, of course, the Yankees won't be going to the playoffs. Um, uh, well, the other bad news is, is that I still don't think that means that uh, we're going to be spared of Brian Cashman. I've said in the past that um, I, you know, who instead, right? But I'm rethinking all of that. Um, I think it's okay sometimes to re, like, to have fresh yeah. blood. Yeah, who cares? Who cares who it is? Um, who cares who it is? Um, it's done. I mean, this this whole this is this era is done. It's a twenty plus year era where we have a done failure. Thing a failure over and over. We have uh, occasionally like the combinations of people that uh, we've brought on. I mean, he's had some wild successes. He's plucked people out who out of obscurity who came and did great things for the team. But this pattern is this 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 model. This era, I believe, needs to needs to end. Yeah. Uh, it's been it, 20 years, and we they hit the right numbers, right? They hit the right numbers uh, one one year in the span. It was exciting and great, but it's just it. it and I know had, it's selfish to say there are other other fans who never. You know who don't get the benefit of of what Yankee fans have enjoyed, but it's that's the way it is, and it needs to end. I mean, I, I, look, I've, I've said this before. I'll say it again. It's a business operation, right? They've made it. They've made eight percent year over year for twenty years, right? It, it's been a nice business. It's been a good investment. Everybody's done well. They go to the playoffs, but they don't. They don't actually. They don't. They're never like best in class, right? They're never the best company. They're never Facebook. They're never Amazon. No one's going to get rich playing their game, right? So the other bad news, which you don't care about, but is now, you know, getting getting the drum beats getting louder, right? Um, the New York football giants, who used to be one of the premier franchises in the National Football League, have now gone 0-2. That's the eighth time in the last nine seasons they've gone 0-2. It's almost almost mathematically impossible to do that. Um, and their record in the last, since 2017, the last four years, is now 18 and 48. Um, and it, it must be something about New York. We, we probably ruined our lives. We should have been sports managers in New York because the general manager of the Giants is not going to get fired this year either, right? Despite the fact that he's now had three and a half years to put this mess together. And they're just as bad as they were the day he showed up. And the Yankees are just exactly what Cashman, um, they're not as good as when Cashman showed up. So I don't know what it is in New York, right? New York is usually pretty ruthless, the city yeah. about, about, about rewarding success and penalizing failure. Um, but the Yankees and the Giants, again, who used to be two of the premier franchises in their sports, have just been not good for a very long time now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yesterday's game was absolutely indicative of this entire season. Yeah, man. They got the worst team in the league who just were on the cusp of their 100th loss. They were on the cusp of their 100th loss. It was 2-1 to one in the bottom of the ninth. The Yankees had one strike. Well, they were one strike away, and they threw a wild pitch to score a run. Yeah, it was actually worse than that, right? There were two wild pitches in the inning. Well, I was going to say that there, yeah, exactly. The reason that the, that they were um, uh, in, in the position that they were is because there was another wild pitch. And then they went on to lose the game. They were one strike away from winning. 
And that's, it, it, it's been like this all year long. It's been crazy. These, this is the weirdest season. Like they can be the best team in baseball and the worst team in baseball and a little bit, uh, not much in between. So. Yeah. But it's all, it's all, it's all bad. And there you go. And so. it, you know, it, 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 it's all bad and it has all come together in the last uh, three weeks of badness. And there we have it. And, you know, the bad news for giants fans is we're going to get to enjoy three more months of this misery um, before anybody gets fired. So. It, it it's it's enough to make me a soccer fan <laughs> no don't don't cross that line Do not cross that line well uh, i don't have anything else for the week i uh, you know i kind of sprung on you all my my diagnosis um i will uh, i'll have a lot more to say probably in future episodes when i'm you know recovered uh fully recovered and and all that but uh, uh are we good we're good. And Tom, I know I speak for everybody who knows you. Um, get well, rest. And, um, you know, we look forward to seeing you at, at 100% of yourself, which is like what, like 65% it's, of normal people? It's like, yeah, it's about, it's, <laughs> but that's all I really need, right? That's, so, that's I mean, exactly. Even 100, 100% of me, 60% of everybody else, I can function there. It's, I can live with that. <laughs> I've pulled it off so far. Uh, all right, that is a wrap. I'm going to close with this. Y'all have a great week, and um, we'll be back much sooner than uh, the last episode. So here it is. What if you no, no, you're not going to trip up Bob Dole. If you barge into my own, Bob Dole has a constitutional right to shoot you in the brain. Uh, <laughs> sir, that, that response seems a little strong considering the character issue. Maybe you should at least say slap you in the brain rather than shoot you. Bob Dole's answer was fine. Sir, it's it's pretty late. Maybe we should just call tonight. Hello, Bob Dole wants to rehearse. Bob Dole's gonna win this debate, isn't he, lady? Y yes, you are, Bob. You sure are. You're the best. God bless. Okay. <laughs> That's right. Bob Dole's gonna stay up an hour for everybody's behind. Next question for Bob Dole. Okay, sir. Here's another one you might get. Uh, all right. Our next question is from Leslie Stahl. Sir, you've billed the Republican Party as the party of inclusion. What programs will you institute to reach out to minorities? No! <laughs> Sir, that wasn't really a yes or no question. <laughs> well, I'm representing Leslie Stahl. I'm not doing a... Hey, you're throwing out Bob Dole. I hear Leslie Stahl's name. I'm expecting a shapely blonde. Do Leslie Stahl! <laughs> All right, sir, why didn't you hear how President Clinton might answer that question? My opponent talks about character, but he completely lacks conviction. He supported affirmative action when it was Vogue, but now... What kind of answer is that? You work for Bob Dole. <laughs> sir, I was supposed to be Bill Clinton. Well, you're... All right, that's enough. Anyway... <laughs> God rest rest in peace, Norm Macdonald, and all the victims of 9-11, obviously. So.